to the COO Roundtable, powered by PFI Advisors. Here's your host, Matt Sonnen. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 20 of the COO Roundtable. I was on a call last week with Brian Hamburger of Hamburger Law Firm and Market Council, and he told me that he has banned all of his employees from saying things like, boy, these are crazy times, aren't they? (laughs) Or uh, let's just hope we get this behind us soon. He made the point that remote work is the norm for the time being, and we may be wearing masks in public for many months to come, and we all should just focus on making the mental shift that this is our normal life for the time being. And the sooner we accept it and adjust, the healthier we're all going to be from a mental perspective. And I thought that was a positive message. So instead of pointing out that once again, we are still uh, sitting at home for today's recording, I'm just going to say welcome, everyone. I'm sitting at my desk. It's a beautiful day here in Los Angeles. We've got two fantastic guests joining us today. And this is going to be a great discussion under our, our new normal conditions. So here we go. Joining us today from Halbert Hargrove, headquartered in Long Beach, California, is Cecilia Williams, their Director of Investment Operations and Chief Compliance Officer. Albert Hargrove has, in addition to the headquarters, it has seven other offices in four states outside of California. Thank you for being here, Cecilia. Thanks for having me, Matt. Excited. Awesome. And joining Cecilia is Diane Gabianelli from Parallel Advisors, headquartered in San Francisco, also has offices in Denver, Honolulu, Dayton, Ohio, and Oklahoma City. Diane is the co-president and CFO. So welcome, Diane. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Matt. Well, based on the sheer number of office locations and the multiple states that you're both working out of, you obviously are working at larger than average RIAs. Cecilia, many people know Russ Hill, your CEO. He speaks at many industry events. I've seen him speak many times. So a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with the Albert Hargrove name. But why don't you tell us a little bit about the firm? Sure, and I have a lot to live up to, knowing that as well. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so Halbert Hargrove was founded in, in 1933 in Long Beach. Uh, we became an RAA in 1989, so been in you know the RAA space for over 30 years. Today, we have about $2.5 billion um, under management, about 44 employees. We really love working with individuals and families in times of transition. So whether that's retirement, job changes, family changes, anything – I think our goal is just making sure we're providing value when clients need us the most. Um, and I think that lends well to our tagline, which is the fearless pursuit of well-lived todays and tomorrows. So making sure our clients have good lives today, but we're setting a plan for them and we're setting everything, their goals up so that we can, you know, achieve their goals for tomorrow. Um, so, yes, you mentioned our offices. So we've, we've mostly grown um, organically in Long Beach, but, you know, as our name has grown, we've had the opportunity to work with great people in other regions who've had books of business and joined us, but we're looking forward to the future, transitioning to that next generation of salespeople who are learning the skills to acquire and retain business. So we're excited for the future. What's the the tagline? That was great. Fearless Pursuit. What was it again? The Fearless Pursuit of Well-Lived Todays and Tomorrows. I love it. That's great. And Diane, Parallel Advisors is another big name in the RA space. I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with it, but please give us some background on Parallel. Sure. So Parallel was founded in 2006 by CJ Rendich, and he was looking for a way to change the wealth management paradigm. He wanted a firm that with independence and inclusivity and innovation would be at its core, and those are still some of our core values today. So shortly after he founded the firm, Jake Shutt joined him, and together they really launched Parallel. They really wanted to build something that was bigger and provided a platform for other advisors to serve their clients conflict-free. 
But they made two really pivotal decisions early on. One is that they wanted Parallel to have a shared equity model. And the other was that we would build an integrated and scalable technology platform. So right now, all of our advisors and several of our employees are actually shareholders in the company. And this really provides for a culture of collaboration, which we is kind of a cornerstone at Parallel. We believe that more minds working together to solve client problems is better than one mind working alone. And then the other fortunate thing that happened is that Jake actually had a technology background. So he continues to be the architect of our kind of open, integrated, scalable technology system. That's really enabled us to be nimble and to give tools to both of our advisors and directly even to our clients. So Parallel today is the only RIA. We have um, 3.2 billion under management. As you mentioned, we've got headquarters in San Francisco with offices in Dayton, Denver, Honolulu, Oklahoma City. We have 61 employees and 27 of whom are advisors. We give our advisors a lot of autonomy around the clients that they serve. So our clients range anywhere from up and coming tech entrepreneurs to corporate execs to business owners and to those who are concerned about intergenerational wealth transfer. That's the main thing that's really common among all of our um, clients is this understanding and appreciation for financial planning. Planning is also a cornerstone of our firm, and we believe that everything else kind of follows from there. And um, growth has also been a big part of our story. Uh, my co-president, Brian O'Keefe, leads our organic growth uh, initiatives, and CJ leads our um, recruiting and M&A efforts. So we continue to think that growth gives us uh, the ability to hire the best people, invest in technology, improve our service and offerings for our clients, create an enduring firm, and really deliver value. But we also don't believe in, in organic growth for growth's sake. Culture and fit are number one priorities. We hire people who are aligned with our core values, which are independent, inclusive, innovative, intense, and inspiring. So those are our guideposts and kind of sum up who we are as a firm. Yeah, you mentioned it. Everybody thinks, well, we have to be growing because we have to impress the clients. We have to be growing because we have to impress the clients. And the clients don't so <laughs> the clients don't so much care about the growth. And sometimes they don't want the growth of the RIA because they want, they, hey, I want to be the only one you're servicing. But the growth is so vital to recruiting and getting uh, top talent. And obviously, being in San Francisco, you've got a lot of competition for talent. So that growth is important for a number of reasons, but it's definitely important. I know we're going to talk about recruiting here in a, in a few minutes, but it's definitely important for uh, attracting the right employees. So that's great. So all of our listeners know that my absolute favorite part of the podcast is hearing everyone's career path and the story of events that have led them to their current position. Diane, you've had an incredible career. You joined Parallel about seven years ago. Uh, you had a fantastic resume when you arrived. Would you mind walking us through your journey? Sure. I think, Matt, what's funny is I heard one of your other podcasts and you mentioned that no one grows up to be want to be the CEO of an RAA, but I actually have a kind of a funny story for you. When I was in high school, my father, who was a broker at Merrill Lynch at the time, he set me up on a kind of rotational internship through Merrill one summer. And most of my time was spent kind of on the first floor shadowing brokers and watching them work and interact with clients. However, I also spent time on the second floor with the operations, finance, and administrative teams. And I remember at the end of the summer, my dad asked me if I wanted to be a broker. And I told him that it was way more interesting to me to run the business and not be on the client side. So, of course, here I am. That's awesome. But, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy. But I did take a circuitous route to get here. And in hindsight, I think that's really served me well. So after graduating from college um, with a degree in economics, I headed to Wall Street and worked for several years in investment banking in New York and Boston and L.A. I knew I wanted to round out my skill set, so I also decided to go to business school. 
And it was there that I became really interested in the challenges of growing a business. So I actually pivoted to sales and marketing at a fledgling natural foods manufacturer and eventually really was drawn to running the business itself. And so I ended up kind of running the operations of that business. And I left that company when my second child came along and I started my own management consulting business so that I could continue to learn about growing businesses and, you know, broadening my skill set, but also have the flexibility that I needed and wanted at the time. So I ended up working with a bunch of CEOs on a bunch of different projects and learned really, again, broaden that skill set and learned a lot of things about a lot of things, which was interesting. So when I was ready to resume a full-time career, I knew that I wanted to get back into the financial services industry, that I had a broad skill set that would make me kind of a versatile player, particularly for a small firm. And then I also had experience in helping businesses to grow. So I was chairing a board at the time and was introduced to CJ and Jake through a fellow board member. And they really needed someone just to wear a lot of hats and to figure things out. So I was looking for to work with really smart people, really good people and a collaborative culture. I wanted to be with an ambitious firm and also to be in a position to learn something new every day. But perhaps most importantly, I wanted to work with a firm that was trying to make people's lives easier. And that's why I've been with Parallel for seven years. You mentioned a lot of things about a lot of things and that, and then you say when you, when you joined Parallel, Hey, they just needed someone to wear a lot of hats. I mean, that pretty much, <laughs> we've talked about it on other, other episodes. That's pretty much the job description of a COO. <laughs> uh, you need to be your hand in everything. Yep. Yep. That's great. You yep, had the absolutely. perfect background. And Cecilia, your career story is no less impressive, but it's, it's interesting in its own right because Halbert Hargrove is the only employer that you've ever had, um, which is, which is fascinating. Um, you've had a lot of roles and responsibilities along the way. You've zigged and zagged your career. Also, I think looking at LinkedIn, I think you earned your MBA while working, and I've always found that super impressive when people can juggle those. So please tell us uh, a little bit of, of where you are today within the organization and how you got there. Yeah, sure. I know listening to Diane, I definitely feel like I had a much straighter path <laughs> starting <laughs> with the industry. Um so I started about 15 years ago. I was a senior in college. I actually was working downstairs on the, on the lobby floor at a gift shop of our current building that we're still in today. So wow. um, I worked there for about three years. It was just a really quiet place that let me study. Um, I got to know a few people who came down to like buy snacks and, you know, built rapport with them. And suddenly I'm a senior and I'm graduating and, you know, I'm handing my resume out to people. <laughs> And um, suddenly, you know, at 21, I'm, I'm interviewing for an operations specialist role at HH. And of course, I have no idea what that means, um, what an advisor is, what an RA is, you know, <laughs> but started and with the firm when we were about a little less than a billion in AUM, definitely looks a lot different than, than it does today. But um, to be honest, I think that it was just the timing um, of the hard work and, you know, our firm having such a strong culture, just like Diane mentioned in her firm. They will sponsor anything that, you know, you want to go after as long as it pertains to your role in, in some way. So taking the series exam, taking my CFP, um, and yeah, and then absolutely my MBA. Um, and that was fully paid for by, by our firm, which is, I think, unheard of. You know, when I, all the classmates that I was going to USC with um, were just astounded when I told them that it was fully paid for by, by my company. But that's, you know, essentially what we're always looking to do and help, help encourage with all our associates. So um, so yeah, so I took basically anything I could get my hands on and I, I applied that as well in the work that I did. Um, I became our trading manager. I joined the investment committee. Um, obviously no one loves the compliance work. So that came to me pretty easily. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, Cecilia, you, you do that if you want to. Um, I, I gained a lot of experience. Um, I think it was in 2010 
when we decided to formally uh, shut down our broker dealer and become completely fee only. So that was a huge, you know, undertaking and something that I gained so much experience from. And then I also had a, a dual role at, at one point where I was on the client service side as a wealth advisor. So um, all that to eventually get to the, the role I am today. So um, Cheryl Sandberg has a great quote in, in Lean In where she says, you know, if you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, you don't ask what seat, you just get on. And I think that's, that's definitely the perspective I've had through my career is that I took on any project that helped the firm grow and help, you know, make sure that we were successful. And I, can, I think that's what gives me such great perspective in, in the role I have today. That's an incredible story. Right place at the right time. I love it. Right? <laughs> Yeah. So Diane, you talked about the culture of collaboration. And as I mentioned at the, at the top of the conversation, you're juggling multiple offices, multiple states. So I'm, I'm curious how the transition to working from home has been for, for you guys. And, and what are the plans across all those different locations for heading back to the office? Sure. So we've been really lucky because, um, for one, we had, um, you know, had business continuity and plan that we had tested annually. So we already had kind of resolved a lot of the possible pitfalls. Um, the other big thing that we had to our advantage is that all of our systems are in the cloud. And so we consider ourselves pretty much a paperless office. So everyone really just had to grab their laptops and head home. So we didn't really miss a beat in that regard either, which was really fortunate and a kind of testament to Jake and his um, technology vision. And then on top of that, our Salesforce CRM, we use that to track all of our tasks. So the workflows are really apparent to managers and to our employees as to who's doing what. And, and um, you know, we can really measure productivity through that task system. And that's been really helpful as well. Our biggest operational challenge actually was the physical mail. Um, you know, who do, who do we forward it to? Do we go back to the office periodically to check it? Do we kind of teach our clients to send, you know, checks directly to custodians? That kind of thing. So it was kind of funny that the physical mail was the, the biggest hiccup for us. So we were really fortunate in that regard from like an operational standpoint. In the meantime, we've been, you know, maintaining all of our meetings. Um, we have an all hands meeting every week. We have a management team meeting every week. Our teams meet weekly. Committees meet weekly. Um, fortunately, we had an annual retreat in February where we flew in everybody from around all of our different offices. And so it was really nice to have been connected at that point. So morale and communications and connections seem to be the, the kind of focus right now for us. And then in terms of returning to work, you know, safety, of course, like everybody, that's our number one priority. So we're thinking about our employees and their friends and family and, you know, questioning things like getting them on public transportation and how that will work. So we did form a committee um, with managers and representatives from our satellite offices to kind of put our heads together to figure out what's the best way to approach this. Um, we've been tracking regional and building specific guidelines in those different areas. And we've gone ahead and secured, you know, cleaning and sanitation supplies and developed protocols around client meetings and mask wearing and congregating in group spaces and things like that. And we've also contracted for additional cleaning services. But at this time, really, Hawaii is our only um, office that's open, and it's certainly optional as to whether folks go in. Um, we, you know, Hawaii doesn't actually have any cases. I believe that's still true. So there was a, you know, request from some of the Hawaii folks to, to get back to the office. Um, but I think, you know, similar to your conversation with the hamburger folks, you know, we're really not putting a timeline on it at all. Um, I think... In some ways, it might help people to have some kind of guidepost, but for us, we just feel like, you know, it's, it's almost our new normal, at least for now. And there's definitely a lot of conversation about 
you know, space and, and when we do go back and should we go back and all of that. We did have a work from home program um, that we had just rolled out in January. So I, I think we'll likely go back to some kind of hybrid approach. But collaboration really is a cornerstone of our firm. And so this idea that getting people together and exchanging knowledge and experiences really makes for a better experience from a professional development standpoint, efficiency, productivity, client experience, all of those things. So it's really hard for us when we think about, you know, would we ever be an all virtual office to, it's hard to think about losing that um, thing that we think makes us pretty unique. So that's where we stand right now. Yep, I think that's exactly right. It's a little bit of a wait and see. You you try to plan, but things are changing constantly. So <laughs> just being flexible, I think, is the best the best strategy. Cecilia, we talked about you have eight offices, five states. How have you guys adjusted to this? And has this experience really changed your attitude toward that traditional office space thought? Yeah, um, very similar. I think to parallel, we we are paperless already. We had a BCP plan. You know, we use hamburgers. So yeah, I think they put us in good shape <laughs> where we had everything ready to go. So I think we we transitioned pretty well. I did think one big takeaway that we learned is having such a large home office in Long Beach and the headquarters here. We definitely learned a little bit more in empathy and how our other offices operate, right? They're, they're smaller offices. They don't get it to interact with everyone as frequently just because it's, you know, a one to two person or three person office there. So we got to live, you know, what they were essentially experiencing every day almost before quarantine. So helping us adjust on the management side, like this is what they're experiencing. They were, you know, already experiencing all the virtual meetings and interactions. So it definitely um, helped us realize what we can do better. We had our first big regional meeting where normally everyone, all hands on deck, fly into Long Beach and we had that virtual in May and I thought it, it worked great. We did breakout groups. We had sessions where you know, smaller groups could get together and brainstorm and still have that camaraderie, have happy hours still. So there's a lot of ways that we're still engaging, but I think a lot of work that we can continue to do, as you mentioned too, as if this is our normal, then, you know, we want to make sure that we still keep everyone engaged. On the technology front, I think that's helped us tremendously too, you know, technology initiatives that I think were already underway, but they were just expedited because of quarantine. So we were transitioning from Skype to Microsoft Teams. We were transitioning from GoToMeeting to Zoom. So things like that just happened much more quickly, um, which is exciting because we were able to kind of really test our infrastructure and, and see what we can do. And, you know, within a month, changing that much technology, I feel like was unheard of in the past. And the entire firm adopted to it so quickly and so seamlessly. It was really impressive and exciting to see that the, the team adopt that. So as far as coming back to work, uh, we do have a date in, in mid-September that we're aiming for just from the management perspective. And obviously we're based in LA County and, and we know the numbers going on. So we could definitely fly by that date <laughs> with no, no action being taken. But we wanted to just set a date internally so that we had all the protocols in place before that date. And then if anyone wanted to come into the office on a voluntary basis, um, we just know that everyone's process, you know, or their their way of efficiency is different. And we wanted to see, just make sure that it was a safe place for them if they wanted to come in. But as a firm overall, we had no date set for when it would be mandatory again. So the only thing is we we did have our first intern hire um, in quarantine. So that was a very, very different experience and finding ways to engage them and, and introduce them to the firm since they're not in person. But I think, yeah, we're definitely dealing with that well and, and looking at creative ways to introduce people to the firm and make sure our culture stays strong, like Diane mentioned. So um, in the future, I, I don't think we'll probably adjust much of our 
of our physical space because of that, because of our camaraderie and everything we need to keep in place, but it's definitely something we're going to keep an eye on. Well, if the news isn't discussing new coronavirus cases or the reopening and reclosing of certain states or certain cities, the other big headline right now has been just all the civil unrest in our country's need for greater diversity and inclusion. Major League Baseball started this weekend with several players taking a knee during the national anthem, and that raised, or, or I, sh I guess I should say continued, a lot of debate across the country. So I know both of your firms have taken steps to address diversity and, and inclusion. Cecilia, why don't you tell us some of the things Howard Hargrove has done in this area? Sure. Yeah, I was very, very proud of, well, Russ, obviously, coming up with our, our initiative. He gave every associate uh, one day of paid time off a week for the rest of the year. So they can dedicate to various diversity and inclusion issues that are impacting our team and our community. And the topic, he really gave no guardrails there. The topics can vary from, you know, voter awareness, registration, education issues, anything that they feel can help improve the firm, our diversity and our inclusion. I think it's a great way that, you know, we're using to invoke change from within empowering our associates. And it's been exciting to see how some of them are, are choosing to tackle this issue in their own way, in their own form, and kind of finding their voice. From, from a management perspective, I think, you know, we, we of course admit that we don't have all the answers to this, but we're continuing to listen, make sure that, you know, we, we have high hopes and we're, we're working towards making a better place for everyone. I think that's fantastic. And Diane, I know Parallel Advisors, you guys recognize Juneteenth this year. What else has the firm done with regard to diversity? Well, as I mentioned earlier, inclusion is one of our core values at Parallel. And so this recent social unrest has really prompted us to take a look at that value to see to what extent it's really actively embedded in our culture, our communications, hiring, and even in our broader community. So we're really interested in figuring out to what degree are we acting with intentionality around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So some first steps we took is, is we did take, uh, put out a statement commemorating June 19th or Juneteenth and honoring any of our employees who have experienced any form of bias during the course of their lives. We did give our employees a paid half day off on Juneteenth and encourage them to spend some time in reflection, listening, and learning. But I'm really proud of the fact that we have established a diversity, equity, and inclusion council, and we really are just getting started. There's a lot to learn and a lot of education ahead of us. We need to determine kind of what the goals are, you know, how we're going to get there, what metrics are we going to use to measure success. So we are right now in the process of researching how other effective DE&I councils work and what work that they do, things like um, ensuring structure in the, you know, one of the big pushes is try to figure out do we have the support system and the structure endemic in our firm that really supports and enables everybody to succeed in the firm? So lots more to come about this. We're really excited. We've got uh, Matt Clements in our firm is, is leading this initiative, and he's really uh, passionate about it. So uh, we're excited to see where it goes in the future. And on that topic of inclusion and ensuring that employees' voices are heard, et cetera, I'm a, I'm a broken record on this podcast. I, I try to mention it on every episode, but I believe 75% of the COO's job is tied up in HR-related initiatives, whether that's hiring, uh, recruiting, training, career development, et cetera. Diane, I know Parallel Advisors has recently had a shift in your recruitment efforts. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, you know, we believe just as you do that firms are ultimately really all about the people and definitely does take up a lot of uh, our time to make sure that we've got good people at our firm. So 
when we're recruiting advisors, our first priority, priority is always to look for great people who have really well-aligned philosophies, not only with how we do business, but also with the values of the firm. And we're really excited because recently we joined forces with Emigrant Partners, which is a subsidiary of New York Private Bank and Trust, which is the largest privately owned family-run bank in the country. And what's great about this partnership is that Emigrant is a position to help us with both our organic and our inorganic growth. So on the organic side, we now have access to some great thought leadership and resources. But on the inorganic side, um, this relationship also gives us access to capital. So for the first time, we're offering upfront transition capital in conjunction with awarding equity to new advisors coming on to Parallel. So, you know, our firm's growing at about uh, 32% a year. So we believe that the equity award is meaningful. We are now, we feel like now we're in a much better position to offer a true partnership opportunity with these economic incentives and really retain and attract the highest caliber advisors and really just great people to parallel. That's great. And Cecilia, can you tell us a little bit of the career development initiatives you've implemented at Halbert Hargrove? Yeah, of course, same. I echo, I, I think, what Diane said about people first. I think a couple that I, I'm really proud of is, one, our, our internship program. And that's probably, it's doing so well because we handed it off to someone else who has been amazing at it. <laughs> um, we had a number of our associates who, who started as interns and now been here five, six, seven years. So that's been great to see. But we have an intern manager who's responsible for coaching and guiding college students. And not only are they doing work that really helps the firm, but they're also getting access to one-on-one -on -one meetings. They have quarterly reviews, our internal meetings. And so hopefully they can really understand what we do, how different roles function with the firm, and help them make a better decision on if this is something that for them. You know, this isn't something that we had when I started. I was I was trusting blindly and jumping into a new job. And, and hopefully we're making the firm better so that we're taking a little bit of the risk away from them and giving an opportunity for them to learn different things before they, you know, jump into a new career. So that's something that I think has been great. And another aspect is our mentorship program. So not not just interns, but new and existing associates are paired with someone for at least two years that can give them guidance. You know, people that have been through it have been, and can be really a champion for them to help them succeed. Definitely takes a village. You know, we're, we're grooming our next generation and, and we think it takes a lot of hands. So the fact that we have this program that kind of builds that a little bit more formally, I think has been really great. Fantastic. I love it. So we've, we've already discussed a lot of the projects that you're both spearheading within your organizations. On top of your operations hats, you both have dual roles. Cecilia, you'd mentioned it, and you're not only the director of investment operations, but you're holding the role of chief compliance officer as well. So my question for you is just how, how do you get it all done every day? Do you have any time management tips you can share with our listeners? Yeah, I think I'd be lying if I said I did get everything done every single day. <laughs> there are definitely days that I do not. But I do have tips, you know, I try to make sure that there's dedicated time to focusing on true initiatives, whether it's compliance issues that I obviously can never drop, but there's also the people issues and everything else that come along with it that they require a lot of focus. So, you know, shutting down email as hard as that can be or uh, blocking off time on our calendar, I, I think has been really helpful. One thing that we tried to initiate that I can admit I failed at was implementing two days a week where we have absolutely no internal meetings. 
I was already bad at it, but I think after quarantine, well, during quarantine, it just became harder because we're meeting with people more frequently. So my new goal is to try and get to one day where we don't have meetings and, you know, allow that time for really valuable focused work. I think that is just, you know, immeasurable in how much you could get done there. And then another thing is just making sure that you, you know, build in flexibility for yourself, whether uh, for me, it's worked really well that I, I start earlier when, you know, again, it's quiet. I can get things done. Um, no one's in the office yet. And and then I, I take off a little bit in the morning um, when I get my son up for school <laughs> and get him around. So that's been helpful. But, you know, it's definitely hard. And it, I think it, it looks differently for each person, but just finding and, and trial and error to make sure you, you find something that works for you. I think I read a study recently that through quarantine, employees are working 10 to 20 percent longer days. But if they meet more regularly with their manager, um, that lessens because managers can, you know, keep them focused, keep them prioritized, and they really start focusing on the right things. So that's definitely something that I've been trying to make sure I, I implement with associates. And then meeting more frequently allows me to delegate more. You know, we're meeting more often. We can work on projects together, troubleshoot things. And it definitely overall helps with my overall workload. So that's been working well so far. That's great. Yeah, the working from home, when it first started, everyone thought, oh, what are we going to do with all this extra time? There's no commute. But <laughs> right? it definitely has felt like more more work than less. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, and then Diane, so we mentioned co-president role, chief financial officer, and your website also mentions you're involved in marketing. So how are you, uh, how are you dividing your day and prioritize everything on your to-do list? So for me, I think what Cecilia said and what you just mentioned around prioritization is really key. So what we do every year, kind of at a 30,000-foot level, is our management team gets together and we have this annual practice of determining our strategic initiatives for the next three to five years. And then we bring those priorities to our shareholders for their input, and then we announce them firm-wide every year. So that's really been a critical uh, practice for us so that helps me figure out how to prioritize all of the things that come across my desk, you know, my working toward those bigger goals. And it also provides transparency so that everyone in the firm knows what the management team's working on. And it also helps that if someone says, hey, I've got a great idea, let's do this, then I can come back and say, okay, well, here are the priorities. Tell me where that fits in. Does it fit into, you know, does it fit in this year? Does it fit in three years from now? Uh, do we want to replace a current priority with, with this new priority. So it really creates this um, level of clarity and communication throughout the firm. And then at 10,000 feet, the management team also meets and, uh, and gets together and really discusses what are the initiatives that we can, or projects that we can do to, to ensure that all these strategic initiatives take place and uh, we're successful at them. So we kind of collaborate on that. And then we even hold each other accountable to making sure that we get those projects done there's a lot of communication and collaboration there as well. And then from there, I try to figure out who I can delegate <laughs> some of this work to. So I meet with my team members individually at least two times a month. When we were back in the office, we had actually an open floor plan. So it was pretty easy to just kind of call across the you know, cubicle and say, let's, let's, let's work on this. Um, but now we're being much more formal about or regular, at least, um, with our meetings. And then I also look to outside resources and consultants to help to the extent that I can. We talked about independence as one of our core values, and we think that let's get the best thinking. I don't know everything about everything, so let's get the best thinking out there to help us. So we have, for instance, a marketing consultant that we use. We have a compensation consultant that we use and some other folks. So I think outsourcing is another option. 
And then finally, I get to my own granular to-do list, which I rely on very heavily. Not many things come off it. They only seem to, you know, be added to it. But I do some things like Cecilia has mentioned. I heard a podcast one day about not answering your emails until noon each day. Otherwise, you're just doing other people's work, which I think is interesting. It's pretty hard to put that into practice, I'm finding, but I like that as a goal for me. And I also, this idea of booking blocks of time on my calendar to getting bigger projects done is definitely another strategy. So prioritization, I think, is our is what I would say is kind of the key to, to trying to get projects um, and move the needle for the firm. And I said earlier, and we've talked about it on a lot of podcasts, the goal for every RIA is to try to provide, continue to provide a high touch service to a larger and larger client base, but make every client feel like they're the only client you're, <laughs> you're, you're working with. You don't want any service issues to slip through the cracks, but at the same time, we're all trying to grow our businesses. So Cecilia, how do you tackle the issue of scalability? Sure. I think, yeah, in one word is probably technology, <laughs> making sure mm-hmm. we have the right technology in place to continue to service our clients, whether, you know, that's our CRM system that has, you know, enormous amount of workflows enabled that can disperse tasks to whether it's the service team, administrative team, ops team to make sure there are reminders, nothing gets missed. It's definitely something that we've spent a lot of time on, on what does the perfect client experience look like. And once we establish that, all right, well, how do we have the tasks in place to make sure we don't miss any of that. For existing clients, it's things like tracking their age. So when we know that deadlines are coming up for Medicare and Social Security, those are things that obviously will never come away from the advisors and having that hands-on experience with the clients, but we can make their lives a little easier and making sure we remind them or we have the, the technology behind the scenes running the numbers, but obviously they're making the decision and having those hard conversations with our clients. So that's been really great. I think aggregation will be a big part of the future here as well as that continues to improve because the less time advisors can spend on inputting, you know, actual data on the financial plan and really just focus on the actual plan and the decisions that have to be made, you know, the more interaction and the more they can spend with their clients making those tough decisions. So, so yeah, the more technology there is that helps to support them, I think the better. That's great. And so Diane, what initiatives or projects are you focused on to allow the firm to grow, but at the same time, maintain that high level of service for all clients? Well, like I think all firms, it's really important for our firm to not take our eye off the ball from a client service perspective, particularly as we grow in the number of clients that we serve and as our clients' needs seem to become more complex. So productivity, efficiency, accuracy, and communication are some of the priorities for the firm right now from an operational perspective. So there are three things that we've done recently. So kind of in an effort to improve communication and throughout the firm, we've created some portals within Salesforce for each department or committee to really succinctly house all the important policies, procedures, resources, et cetera, so that information is really readily available for everyone. The other thing that we just uh, are wrapping up now is a segmentation project. And what we did with that is we kind of clearly defined and standardized our service offering for all our clients. We performed activity-based costing uh, to our client service tasks to determine where we're spending time and to measure productivity. We identified ways to optimize our our service delivery vis-a-vis these costs. And uh, we're reallocating resources in order to provide appropriate advisor and client support where we're needed. So we're really happy with that project, and that's just rolling out right now. And then the third thing that we're just about to launch is a workflow process audit. So we want to map out various processes throughout the firm and across departments to better learn where the gaps are and where the opportunities are for improvement in efficiencies and productivity and accuracy. 
it's easy to take a band-aid approach to solving for gaps rather than looking for like a holistic process um, and identifying where we can get the most lift from investments in technology or people. So we think that this will help us scale more thoughtfully and provide even better service to our clients. Such a nerd, all that <laughs> all that excites me. I think that's that's great. The workflows and everything. Me else. too. That's, that's me too. Yes. <laughs> I'm excited for it. Yes. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you both for keeping a, a very positive vibe throughout our discussion today and for showing everyone that firms are definitely continuing to thrive in this environment. I think, uh, I think our listeners have learned a ton from both of you today. So, uh, Cecilia and Diane, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you soon.